Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to Impact the World, and my guest for this week's show is Matt Kahn. Matt is a highly attuned, empathic seer and speaker, and he is the author of three best selling books. And I've seen and known of Matt's work out there for many, many years, and we recently got connected by a mutual friend. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to get to meet him and to really get to understand a little bit about what has driven his path of doing this work in the world. So we have a good conversation going all around the areas of Matt's work, and we seem to wind up at the very end of the show having quite an obsessive conversation about food and cooking. So I hope you enjoy the show with Matt Kahn. You can learn more about Matt's work by visiting his website, mattkahn.org. As ever, we put all of our links in the show notes, so check them out. And if you enjoy this show and you want to support us, the best way you can do that is to go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show there, and leave us a rating and a review. That's how you'll help more people find this show, which we are passionate about producing and bringing to the world. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy this episode with our guest, Matt Kahn. Welcome, Matt, to Impact the World. I was just saying to you, it's been so long that we have been in and around each other's orbit, doing similar work in the same field and many mutual friends. So it's really fantastic to get to meet you today in person for the first time. Oh, thanks so much. I've been looking forward to meeting you for many years and we, we, we've been orbiting each other's fields and finally the inevitable encounter has happened. So it's truly equally an honor for me to be here with you. Oh. We, you know, it's funny because I remember it was probably 2008, 2000, 2008, maybe 2009, when I think I first became aware of you, unless it was a little later that you started. But one of the things that hit me when I was tuning in on some of your videos this morning in prep to speak to you today is whether you frame it this way or not, I'm not sure, but mm. it's really channeled what you do. So my experience of watching you on camera is, ah, he's channeling this transmission. He's channeling this topic. Yeah. And I was curious for, just for my own interest, how your experience of these messages that you bring out to so many people around the world, mostly through video, um, mm. how they come through you and how you experience it. It's a real interesting story, uh, just because I've learned as I've gone along. So when I started doing the work I was compelled to do, which, you know, I, I never sought out to do the spiritual work because I didn't even know it existed. I, I was a performer my whole life since I was 10. And I, looking back, everything I've done is prepared me for what I do, but I just never, I was always very spiritually oriented and it was very much the most comfortable and at home on, on stage. And when I started doing what I was doing, which was just being compelled by spirit to tell someone something. And then I would get in front of audiences and could do the same thing. Like a reading with an entire group as one group soul. Uh, people would say, oh, you're a channel. And I would look into channeling going, I guess I'm a channel. And um, I kind of just learned as I went along. I would see people doing trans channeling, which 
you know, if, if that's that's the gift inside of you, that's that's wonderful. For me, I've always watched myself and what I do, and my form of channeling is more of what I would call an embodied channel, where spirit is not sliding my personality aside and bringing through something else. It's actually coming through the embodiment of my personality. So when I'm on stage and I'm channeling a teaching, and then in that split second, the universe wants to stop and help people integrate, and then I'll, I'll do a joke. But it's not Matt Kahn really wants to tell a joke. It's spirit is creating a joke to foster a moment of integration for whatever clearing and, and activation has just happened. Um, and, and over the years, I've just began to realize that when I speak, there's an energy that comes through me. When I write, there's an encodement of energy. And, I, and I've really just learned as I've gone along and I, I've just learned by watching myself and watching my interactions with people and just kind of going, okay, I'm a channel, but this is a different kind of channeling and just kind of going with it and, and just, you know, from the intention of really wanting to serve people and loving watching people heal and wanting people to have the most incredible experiences in the most immediate amount of time. And so really, this is all just fulfilling my love of service. Hmm. So what, what was the stage side for you when you were younger? Because you hmm. said that you kind of grew up on stage. What were, yeah. what were, you, what were you doing? My goodness. So when I was 10 years old and I had this pull to perform and I told my parents, they took me to a local community theater and I auditioned for a Ray Bradbury um, play. And I never done an audition, didn't know what to do. And they just said, you know, do this, do that. And I, I, I booked the lead role. And so now I'm the lead in the play. I have no idea what acting is. I'm just doing what people tell me to do, stand here, do this. And then from there, I was in a singing and dancing group of all things. Um, I used to be a, if I say this, people are going to laugh because they, they wouldn't expect, I used to be a hip hop dancer when I was a kid. Oh, that's uh, great. <laughs> so, you know, when it was hammer time. Uh, that's great. When you we need to incorporate up. that, Matt, I think. You need to bring that back into some of these videos. <laughs> the next book launch is going to be hammer time. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I, I was staying at my friend's house and he was in this jazz and singing group. And I said, I don't know jazz. I'm a hip hop dancer. He says, just go to the audition, stand in line and just copy what you see. And I did. And I got into the group. And for five years, I had two hours of vocal training and two hours of dance training twice a week. And I performed like with this group at Disneyland, you know, four hours a week for me to realize I'm not a singer. Right. I'm not fighting for solos, but I was a really good dancer and performer. And I got to perform in the Super Bowl halftime show with Michael Jackson, which was a rather life changing wow. experience. I mean, that he was one of my idols growing up. So, mm. but, and when I was in front of like 300,000 people, it was probably the most comfortable I've ever been in my life. Mm. And so it gave me this feeling of performing is my home. Mm. And so I would then was an actor. Uh, improv was where I excelled because I'm a channel, which I didn't know at the time. And I did a couple commercials and got out of acting. And then when the spiritual stuff really started like activating, I, I was able to look back and go, oh, the performance was just getting me comfortable in front of people. And I just didn't realize it was building for something else. And I started, you know, giving readings. And well, the first thing that actually happened was I would go to the grocery store and 
spirit would tell me to tell people things like tell this person their deceased grandmother says blah 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 and they'd have this huge breakthrough and i had no idea what i was doing but it just it, it felt good to just serve people and and if and if i didn't say what was coming through me it felt like i was about to have a heart attack so when that first happened what was that like yeah. so because you this is a random stranger in the grocery store <laughs> totally and random. when you first hear this voice like was there yeah. a moment when you're wondering what that is or well when i was eight i had or eight or six or eight i it's hard for me to remember what age when i was a kid i had this out-of-body experience and i went to heaven and i met what i later realized was jesus and there was such a love in that experience that I, I still remember to this day. You carry this fiat with you. For anyone that's been touched by the light of heaven, it's a certain vibration of love you, you can't shake. Like I still carry it like it happened yesterday. And so when my guide started speaking to me, it immediately came with that familiar heavenly vibration. So I immediately knew, trust this. And there was also part of me that was listening to make sure the content was trustworthy and not... Because, you know, in the back of your mind, I think it's really healthy to kind of question things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? I think it's very healthy. <laughs> so, like, I wasn't being compelled to tell people ridiculous things. It was just loving, beautiful remembrances. And, I mean, you know, by the oranges saying to someone, look, I know this is going to sound crazy. I have to deliver this message from spirit or else I'm going to have a heart attack. So you can run away from me, but let me just say this. And then they would have this huge experience. And then my guides told me to go to this local spiritual bookstore and tell them that my experience. And I said, hey, why do I keep seeing purple energy around me? And they said, take our psychic development course. Okay, so I'm in a class of five people doing all these exercises. And by the third week, they asked me to teach it. And I thought, I don't know, I, I'm in your class. And so then they said, you know, sat me down with someone, give a reading. I don't know what a reading is. And then all of a sudden something happened. Yeah. And I gave a reading. Uh, and then I was, you know, booked at a psychic fair to give readings. And every single time I'm like, I don't even know. And boom, it came through. And so within like a month of doing this, I had a full schedule of healing uh, clients and sessions. I was working with people from all walks of life. Um, I, I met um, someone who wanted to help promote and, 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 and partner up and help share my work and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this thing and I really don't even know what I'm doing. And I only know what I'm doing because I've watched what I do and I've observed and I've learned from what people have told me and I've kind of pieced it all together. Just like when I used to do healing sessions one-on-one, -on -one, I think I've done around like honestly 12,000 healing sessions, which is astonishing. And, and every healing session, I would listen to what I would say through me and I would listen to what they would say. And, and that's how I learned about the other spiritual path was, was by piecing it together for like 12 years. Mm. So it's been a rather mysterious journey, but it's been one where I've been educated only by my direct experiences. I don't read a lot. I, I write, I channel, and, and I like to keep it pure because I, I want it to come through me the way it comes through me. And um, I kind of have this weird, funny rule, like if certain people use words, like Eckhart Tolle uses present moment, mm -hmm. I won't use that a lot because that's his. And I want to respect that and just kind of have my own authentic channel. And that's, that's something that I think is just a really key thing to what I want to do is just always be true to what wants to come through me. And what always wants to come through me is often the most loving things, which I'm grateful for. I love what you're sharing, particularly about kind of how you got going and yeah. 
because I, I definitely resonate with several of those things. Like for me also, mm. nobody trained me. It just right. happened to me. And for me, the biggest, I think, validation came from me monitoring how people responded to what I was doing. Exactly. And what they told me and the consistent messaging that I would get, you know, this is helpful. This has changed my life. This is, mm. so I had to learn it that way. And I think that's one of the things that can stop people using their intuitive or their empathic gifts because, you know, in our society, in our conditioning, so many of us have waited to be certified or verified, or this person has told you you can do something. And it, it is so mysterious because everyone's gift is unique. And the best experience is kind of getting in there, starting, seeing how it goes, monitoring how it goes, and then, and then letting it ride. Absolutely. And, and I, th I think, and, and I love what you're saying, and I see so many parallels between us. I think what's interesting, I mean, I remember on, you know, I've been on stage or teaching over the years and my teachings evolve. Everyone's going to mature and grow. And as you grow as a human being, so is what you offer. And I remember I've, you know, I've been on stage and I've watched myself do a Q&A, like let's say many years ago. I'd have a Q&A and I'd get someone to a certain point, but I'd walk away from that experience going, I don't know that that was the best approach I could have taken. Mm -hmm. They had a great experience, but like, like playing chess, I go, I don't think I'm going to do that again. And that didn't feel like the way I want to do it from now on. And so not in a scrutinizing way, but there's no one that has watched me closer than me. And, right. and, and it's, it's a beautiful skill to have when you can be that objective when just because it comes through me doesn't mean it's instantly like amazing. I go, oh, well, that's a cool teaching, but I think that brought me to a different realization and I think there's a better way to do it. And um, what I am proud of in my work and, and I'm a spiritual you know, fan, so I love this work. I love your work. I love Eckhart's work. I love great, great authentic work, you know, and I really, really just, I, I love it with all my heart. But what I love more than anything else, and, and pe people that have come to me and said, hey, Matt, what should I focus on to bring my gifts to life? You know, they think I'm in the same meditation or all these things. And I said, the most important thing to focus on is how you treat people. Hmm. And I know, Lee, you have that because I can feel it. And I have that. The most important part of what I do in serving people is how people are treated, how they're seen, how they're felt, how they are held in my presence. Hmm. Everything else just comes through me. But my focus is, the success is, that the people that I serve, whether it's one person or thousands of people, feel seen, respected, and honored. And for me, I don't even mind or care how people act towards me, even though people are very nice. My service, my desire is to treat people truly the way they deserve to be treated. And that's, that's, the, that's the, for me, the fuel, that's the joy of what, why I do what I do. Hmm. It's very interesting hearing you say, I mean, several things that you're saying that are kind of pinging for me as you're saying them, but Hmm. When I was on your website this morning, you have this um, this great article about humility, mm -hmm. and one of the things that it, it it's something I've spoken to friends and contemporaries about over the years. One of the strangest compliments that I find myself being given in this field, which I think says very little about me <laughs> and more about the world that we live in, yeah, um, is I always find it kind of sad when people say, "Oh, you're so humble." Yeah. 
because I don't see that as a compliment to me. I see that as a, a horror story about, well, what the hell's going on in the world? But, you know, that, that because for me personally, yeah. I feel I, I live a life of incredible privilege in that I get to do work that I love and that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And it gets to benefit other people. So, so for me, well, I, yeah, I, you should be humble. You should be very grateful. <laughs> you right. know, I'm, I live my life very grateful for the life I'm in. So it tells me a lot about the kind of spiritual distortion, or I should say power distortions that we see in the world that the yeah. spiritual world is not immune from. And the amount of kind of ego power tripping that you can occasionally yeah. see in our field or meet in our field, which I think is very disappointing when you first see it. Yeah. But then you remember, well, it's it's the planet. So we're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna see everything. And we're all we're all evolving and we're all doing our best. But um I just I was curious how that how that how that fits for you because it's some it's a theme you just alluded to. Yeah. It's funny when, you know, when I was raised by my parents and I had a wonderful relation with my parents, but my parents also had extraordinary patterning and boy, you know, my mom and dad, I mean, that was the greatest training I ever had was to be honest. I say, and I, and I was at the end of their lives, I was both my uh, parents' teacher, spiritual teacher, which happened spontaneously and helped them leave their bodies. And it was, it was, I've had a wonderful relationship with my parents as much as there was also at the same time, some extraordinarily wounds that had to be healed, you know, just like all of us. Yeah. When I was younger, I was taught, no matter what, how people act, Matt, you have to be nice and polite. And I took it literally. And so I took it completely literally because I was afraid of my parents as well as desperate and eager to please them. And so when I would be in experiences where someone, when I was very young, and I get roped into this kind of egoic swirl where someone would treat me not nice. And then it would, you know, and then it's our, here comes sarcasm. And, you know, the, and I would, I would walk away and I'd have this feeling of, and just, you know, in my own consciousness, when I was young, you spiritually failed right there. And for me, it was this interest of how do I act polite without adjusting my values for someone else's mm -hmm. choice, whether conscious or unconscious, mostly unconscious. So fast forward to being in this field. I got in this field. I thought I was going to come out and meet all my spiritual buddies. I'd have all my psychic best friends. I've learned only from my own channel. And I came into this field and it was a rude awakening mm -hmm. because I met a lot of people who were on stage doing work, leading things that I thought when you do this work, it's because you've done enough work in yourself and there's something mm -hmm. you, so it was a rude awakening. And I watched some very well-known people on stage answering questions with people at retreats. And I watched the people on stage make the other person's plight more about their performance than serving the person. And it was actually during a retreat where I was asked to be a guest speaker. And I was just kind of, hey, let's see so-and-so in action before I go on there. And it infuriated me because as an empath, I can feel people suffering. I take it very seriously. And so to watch someone kind of use someone else's suffering as fuel for their performance and then when the person didn't have the quite 
expected breakthrough, they got kind of shut down and gaslighting. And I remember watching a specific example, which, you know, I'm trying to be as <laughs> general as possible. And it pissed me off so bad. And I, I don't get angry that often. I really don't. But it, it, it lit a fire. And I, th- and I said, I will never be like that. I will make my strength how I treat people. And I will treat people as the gods that they are, regardless of what they got going on, you know, and and it was, it was a promise I made to myself because if I don't operate the way I do, I can't live with myself doing this work. I don't do this work because just because I'm really good at it. It's because I love people. I love people. I love helping people and I will help people until my dying breath. That's why I, and this is just the way I happen to help people or if it's someone in my personal life, I make them a delicious meal because I also mm. like to cook. But mm-hmm. I love people, you know, and I love people who don't particularly love their experiences. Mm. I love people whether they love me or not. That's irrelevant to me. So for me, it's just there's such a love and there's such a commitment without trying to politeness, to respect. Like if I meet a little boy, I think it's so funny to say, sir, or a little girl's ma'am. It just, for me, it feels so good. And because I've always had a general awareness of spirit in everything, everything for me feels so holy and so reverent and so sacred. That's what I'm really responding to is what's within all of this. And it's so for, for me, it's been quite an interesting journey and you know, I, I don't know. I do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I do it the way I do it. It's been working extremely well and I'm grateful, but there's just, there, there's, there's only a certain which way in which I operate and um, I can only be responsible for what I contribute. So, yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's funny, your story about the, uh, the, the, the people that you met that were on stage and yeah. I mean, literally, almost some of the exact same words are things that I also have shared and kind of one of the hardest things to see. And one of my great barometers um, on the rare occasion that, I mean, because I, you know, I don't know about you, Matt, I have a very quiet life. Like someone said to me the other day, oh, what's it like being so out there on the internet? And I said, I don't know. I'm not looking at myself on the internet. That's not my reality. My reality is creating the next thing. Mm -hmm. So the only time I'm ever really aware of, um, let's say the reach of the work yeah. um, is if I'm at the live event, which of course we haven't really been at for a while. Yeah. Um, and for me, the barometer is always not how people treat me at those events, but how people treat the people with me. That, yeah. uh, do they make eye contact with the person at my yeah. shoulder or are they just being very nice to me inappropriately because they're inflating me because of my supposed position in that room? So I'm right. really sensitive to those dynamics and it's, yeah. it's always... It's always very telling to see how, for me, with the backstage, it's always how do people treat the people who are helping backstage? Absolutely. Not the other speaker, not right. the other person that they want to talk to, their, to them about their book, but just how, how, you know, the person who brought you a glass of water. Because, yeah. you know, is there an equality there? So it's, it's an interesting distortion. Um, I'm interested how you, because, you know, you just shared how for you the, holiness and the reverences and everything how have you dealt with 
some of the shadow that we're we're seeing surfacing in recent years, but especially this year. I mm. think this year we've had the kind of biggest evidence, mm -hmm. uh, the biggest, most mass consciousness evidence of some of the shadows on the planet that we're all dealing with and having to go through this transformation around. How do you keep yourself afloat or what are your remedies if you find that you're getting a little too hit by some of the darkness or the suffering on the planet? Because I know that's a big thing for those of us who are empathic, like figuring that out. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, and just to parallel your life, you know, when I'm not on, on stage or doing what I do, I'm, I live a very quiet life. Um, and I do it because, you know, I, I'm giving a lot of energy, I'm channeling, I'm uh, healing energy is helping to shift room, a room of people and people on live stream. And so it just, it takes a lot of energy. And I love being social, but I, I, I love the downtime just so I can recharge. And I, and I also think it's a very beautiful um, practice of humility in, in terms of you know, because nowadays I go to the grocery store and I get recognized, not like 100 people, but, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be recognized for your work. And I'll stop and give someone a moment of my time, of course. And uh, but, but I also think it's good for me to have the downtime and to just kind of keep it grounded and just to make sure I'm always connected to myself. Um, in terms of the shadow, which I love what we're talking about, what I've noticed, and this is just something that I've been healing uh, as a core wound since I was a kid, because my, my mom had a very interesting father. And so she had a lot of wounds. And mm. my mom, when she wanted to get her way, would a lot of times reinvent history and reality right. to get her. And even when I'd say, no, but I remember it this way, you know, it's, I, I could be accused of lying just to, just to keep her covering her track. So a lot of weird yeah. Uh, for me, uh, wounds with the feminine shadow. And mm -hmm. so I remember like a couple, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was at a retreat and I answering a question with someone and a woman's feminine shadow came and it, and it's like, she turned into a giant spider mm -hmm. and there was this, and for the, and, and I have, you know, I'm very loving with people. I have a wonderful relationship with my audience. And it was like one of these weird experiences where I thought, is this person going to rush on stage and attack me? Mm-hmm. And I had the thought in my head, if that happens, I'm going to allow them to until someone comes in because I, I don't I don't fight. I'm, I'm a, I don't do that. And it was this really weird moment where I froze and it was the first time in my career of like 14 years where I just froze. And for half a second, I just didn't know what to do, because for that second, I became a, bo a little boy. Mm. I became a little boy petrified of my mother yeah. in front of 500 people. And I, you know, got my composure and it was fine and, you know, it, it was okay. Um, but but it, for, for me, what I notice is that there have been a lot of healing dealing with the feminine shadow and how that brings out this very fragile, frightened part of me. Um, and when I went through awakening many years ago, it was like who I used to be just shot out of my ears and just exploded. And so there was many years where I didn't even have that sense of self. And then as I came back into my body, then I'm revisiting and revisiting the wounds and experiencing those feelings in 100% awareness and healing those things. So I think for me, um, it's so important. And I have, a, you know, I have a small, beautiful group of friends. Most of them, for some reason, live in different states. So right. I, I spend a lot of time alone. And I don't say that in a sad way. I say it because it's almost necessary for me. Uh, not, I'm not an antisocial person, but I need the time to 
integrate my next big upgrade, to process, to reflect, to look at what I just did. And I look at it from five different angles and go, is there a better way I could have done that? Is there a more loving way I could have done that? Always just wanting to refine what I do. Because for me, this is like a sport. Mm. So I think for me, how I deal with shadow, whether arising as a young part of myself or you know, and what comes up to be healed in the presence of another is I spend so much alone time with myself, connecting with myself, being with myself, that it allows me to hold that space and, and always kind of see where we need to go. Yeah. But, but, but on a few occasions, like I said, the feminine shadow has really um, brought about an unexpected level of terror. Mm. Mm, yeah, no, that, that makes, I, I think, I think we all have our thing or things like yeah. that, that we, we go, oh, this has always been one of my great challenge areas. But it's interesting that you bring up your parents, because I wanted to read something that I oh. got from your website this morning. Um, <laughs> it's a paragraph um, from, from an article that you had, but it really, it, it conveys a couple of things. To me, this is really about how we grow beyond our conditioning. Mm. So you wrote, when I began teaching long before the era of ties and sweater vests, <laughs> I bought myself a pair of $49 semi-dressy Skecher shoes that I wore for the next nine years. Yeah. I used the same laptop for over 11 years and had it rebuilt and upgraded while writing Facebook posts. Even as the popularity of my YouTube videos grew, I was so afraid of everything being taken away so I just saved my money to match the mentality of my parents. When I was a kid, each and every time my parents were on a financial upswing, some snafu of unexpected cost would bring them back to the same scraping by dogfight they had known too well. As I began succeeding, I recognized layers of imprinting from seeing my parents live out this dynamic. And it made me more afraid of losing what I had than being excited for the blessings I was receiving. Now, the reason I loved this just, I mean, number one, I think you can focus that on, if you like, the finance aspect. And that's yeah. one thing that I think we all go through. But really, to me, this is about anything. You know, you can pick your thing, whether it's you become married and have a happy marriage and no one in your family had a happy marriage. So you're going right. beyond what you knew. I will also point out that it's not that long ago that having the same pair of shoes for nine years or a computer for 11 years was kind of considered normal. So we've definitely, we've changed as a world. But um, yeah. I think what hit me about it is just recently, we lost my father this, this past um, spring and Stephen and I are just buying a house. And it's the first time I've ever bought a house or been able to buy a house. Right. And I keep feeling like looking over my shoulder for the parents. I'm like, well, who's going to take care of these <laughs> Who's going to deal with this call about finance that's beyond my comprehension and understanding? Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and I, I've noticed this in my work and various areas of my life. There is that moment when we grow beyond our conditioning, our training, and we're kind of without the safety net. But what I've noticed with the people I've worked with on this dynamic who are struggling with it is you do kind of have to push through. You have mm -hmm. to recognize it's happening. You have to recognize the temptation to go back into the old habit. Yeah. And then you have to push through the discomfort mm. to grow into becoming something new. So I thought you articulated that so beautifully. Oh, thank you. And, and again, my, my sincerest blessings for the passing of your father. Mm, thank you. Um, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, it was, it was such interesting. My parents were always, in, you know, 
you will do better than us. You don't want to know from this. And so it was like, I, I had to, you know, had to succeed. Um, and when I first became successful in this field, the first thing I did is I paid my parents back every dime they ever, like they, they floated me so much money to attend a college I never finished because that was not for me. So I, 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 first thing I did is I paid my parents back everything. And I felt this huge relief of just like clearing a debt. And then, um, you know, recently I moved into a new a home in central Oregon and I bought myself a house and um, it's a house just for me. And um, yeah, just, just going through the very strange evolution where I know myself as I am now, but I also know the tendency to see myself as I was when I was really young. And so, you know, and I'm also, because I'm a channel, I walk around with this embodied presence of what I transmit, but I don't walk around with any recollection of nearly anything I've ever written or taught at all. And when people say, remember that thing, that's what reminds me. Oh yeah. Or I'll watch a video of mine for half a second. And I'm like, I guess I said that. I don't remember where I was. Sounds awesome. And so just kind of walking around with like, I have a career, I'm successful. I've helped a lot of people. And I almost have no recollection of any of it happening. And it's, a, and, and, and I've succeeded. And, and, and as I've grown up, how, how does my definition of success change? Because it's no longer this little boy going, you know, when I, when I have this, I'm going to buy this. And yeah. it, 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 it quit. And I'm sure you know that this is for me, success is now rooted in the company I keep the people I associate with that feel resonant to me and the quality of my work. Mm. That's all I care about is the quality of my work. I love my life at any moment. If the spaceship comes for me, yeah, I'm good. Like I'm good. And I always have goals. I'm always working on things, but for me, it's always like we, you had mentioned earlier, What's the next thing I'm going to create? What's the next level? What's the next edge I'm going to push through in myself? What's the next thing I'm willing to face? And so that for me is the new definition of success. But it was very interesting to come from my family's, you know, hard work ethic, which for them almost became this weird righteous badge of honor. Mm. Like I struggle and I earn my way. So therefore I, I expect to be seen this way and, all these really weird nuanced, you know, levels of conditioning. Um, and it was just a lot to really work through. And I, of course, projected a lot of my experiences with my parents onto the universe. Mm. And as much as I've always had a clear connection of a loving universe, for so many years, I projected onto the universe, you know, I will follow your instructions because I'm so afraid you're going to take this from me. I'm so afraid of being punished by you. And it wasn't until the last three to five years where I could say I've really worked it out to a tremendous degree. And it was really quite something for me that I carried. Awesome. That's yeah. great. And, and it's interesting too, because I, you know, I was talking to someone about this the other day, your definition of success changes with every stage you reach. Yeah. So at one point for me as a part-time, um, and originally I was a reader, you know, I kind of psychically mm. read for people. And then it became Skype and telephone sessions, like to go full time with that and to be able right. to afford to go full time with that rather than part time was like, oh, my God. And then it was like, oh, my God, I've got enough money to go and buy this pair of shoes. Or, you know, that was like a 
there are like these little tick boxes. And then you get to a point where I feel you get to really go deep when the kind of more superficial and I shouldn't even say superficial because there are real needs that we have to right. live and survive on this planet. But when they start to get taken care of and you're not, you're not having to chase after those things in quite the same way, for me, it was the best moment because suddenly it's like a wake up moment again where you go, mm. oh, now I get to really deepen my purpose mm -hmm. because certain things are in place. So now I get to go even deeper. So it's, it's a fascinating ladder, this perceived success. And, and it's very, um, you know, we're, we're sold such a bill of goods around <laughs> what success really is. And I yeah. love that in our time, our mm -hmm. generation, we're not buying that. You know, I think when we were kids, we were sold this idea of what success was. Right. Everybody today is going, hang on a second. That's not actually what truly means anything. Well, yeah, and, and it just what comes up to me that seems so funny is I remember, you know, if I look at my, my, my parents, my parents would work hard. They worked for other people. My mom was a paralegal. My dad was a salesman. Um, my, my dad was dyslexic and not diagnosed because at his generation, there was no such thing as dyslexia. You were just labeled as stupid or incompetent. So my dad was always trying to prove his father wrong because my dad did not follow his grandfather's footsteps to inherit a hospital and become a doctor or a surgeon. So my dad always had this like fight inside of him. And I remember with my parents, one day I, I watched them and, and just hearing them talk. And I realized, you know, they work hard, they save their money, the American dream, this whole, they have a house, this whole thing, all for what? All so that we have the right to rest. And I went, that dream exists in people who don't have a spiritual practice and they think they're trying to afford use money to buy themselves the time to care for themselves right and that was kind of when my illusion of that started to kind of break apart what i think is fascinating about we talk about finances or abundance <clears throat> is having a lot of money can give people the opportunity if they're willing to say i have so much of my needs met I now can be authentic to my gifts and to what I really feel is true. People that hit rock bottom and have nothing go through the same process of I'm forced to do to only be authentic. Right. And so I think what's interesting is whether you have money or you don't, you're in the same process, the same right. opportunity, which is whether you have everything or nothing, the opportunity is, will you cross the threshold into true authenticity? Yeah. And, and that's, the game, you know, that's, that's the road that you and I are on. That's what we do in our work. And I, I think at a certain point for every human being, there just becomes this point of awakened consciousness where you can't operate in anything else but authenticity and no, no temptation means anything. Mm -mm. No amount yeah. of money, no amount of opportunity. No, you're going to be on this TV show and, um, and even like, you know, when I was in, a, when I was a performer, even, even opportunities I've had in this field that people would say, oh, that's a tremendous opportunity. It kind of means nothing. Mm -hmm. And even when you're doing it, right, it, it feels like nothing. It feels empty. Mm -hmm. It feels make believe. It feels like this has no substance or significance whatsoever. Yeah. You know, and so for me, it's just been a very deep journey of, unraveling my parents' mindset and, and really, really kind of just, okay, I'm going to bring through what I bring through and I'm going to serve people. And, and that's, that's what this is really all about.
And even in our industry, where it could be about the perception of mastery depends on certain numbers of popularity and how people see things. And, you know, I'm just very grateful to be very rooted in my own thing. And that's, that's exactly what I honor in you because I see it and I feel it. And that's why I've always, you know, over the years been like, one of these days, me and Lee are going to meet and we're going to hang out. It's going to be awesome. And because I can feel that. And I, and I, I just want to say, I, I really appreciate the work you're doing, the way you're doing it and, and, and the way it flows through you. And, and every time I see what you do, I just applaud and I go another one. Thank you. And it's yeah. funny because one of my favorite things that this year, two big things have kind of happened for me around the work. Yeah. Number one is we have been able to um, create a music album, which will be released in November, probably by Perfect. the time this show is out. And number two, this 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 show, which mm. um, is is such a delight because you know I love these kinds of conversations and I love hearing people's process. But for example, Matt, I now know you were a hip hop dancer. I mean, this is like I had I I I don't know how I would have learned that otherwise, but I I think it's those tiny things that are fascinating as much as the big things you're saying. Yeah. Just to kind of loop into what you're saying about success, as I was listening to you. Yeah. For me, actually, the one thing that I think I've come to realize is the biggest successes are yeah. all tiny. Like, it's all tiny moments for me. Yeah. Like, yeah, 10 years ago, if you'd have said to me, oh, Lee, you're going to have a book published by New World Library and it's going to be on Amazon and people are going to want it. Like, some part of me back then would have been like, oh, my God, wow, imagine. Yeah. And actually, the truth is, seeing my book on Amazon doesn't do anything for me. Right. Hearing someone say, oh my God, I loved your book. It did this for me. I'm like, oh, that touched my heart. That I can get behind. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. That's great. You yeah. know, so it, those tiny moments in work and equally in life, it's the, small, yeah. it's the small things. And yet so many of us have been asked to be distracted by seemingly big prizes. Mm-hmm. But the way I see it, our society has not been very fair about giving out. You know, it's like the right. 1%, the 99%. So I'm, I'm actually really enjoying seeing all of that breakdown at, at this time. Yeah. So to touch on that, Matt, you know, you and I have both been doing this work for a similar amount of time. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating how different the world of spirituality, mm-hmm. consciousness is now versus, yeah. say, 2006, 2008, when I was hearing from my own guides, oh, you're going to see spirituality and consciousness enter the mainstream. And I remember thinking, oh, that sounds nice, but I can't, I couldn't put that together. I couldn't quite see how it was going to look. And yet here we are in 2020 and you, you hear certain things said in the popular consciousness right. as, as if they're a given that 14 years ago, people would have gone, huh? It's, it's fascinating to me how it's changed things. How have you experienced that kind of quite seismic shift in our culture? It's interesting because, so if I remember back to when I first started, whether it's, you know, 2006, 2007, when it was, when I was really starting to, you know, get booked at bookstores and speak in front of an audience. And, um, you know, back in that day, it's like, oh, if 10, if five people show up, wouldn't that be cool? And if anyone shows up and I would sit in front of an audience of people who maybe were interested in the subject matter, didn't know who I was. I'm not sure I knew who I was at that time either. So we're on the same page trying to figure yeah. out who I am. Why am I listening to this guy? And I'm, t- I'm saying things that to them seem very counterintuitive to what they've been taught. 
I bring you through things that are kind of not the norm of spiritual teaching. And so I'd sit there in front of people going like, mm, I'm not sure. You know, it's this weird thing where it's like, if I say something they've never heard before, they weren't sure whether to embrace it. But then if I said everything they already believed, I'm not saying anything new. Hmm. So in the very beginning, I, I, I wasn't even sure what I was doing or why I was doing it. Like, like, did, did I help anyone? Was that helpful? Like, I almost wanted to start my talk by saying, hi, I'm Matt Con. pleasure to meet you. I just want to apologize in advance for, you know what I mean? I just wanted to kind of- Oh, I do that, Matt, by the way. I actually <laughs> do. I know, I'm seriously, it's the first thing I say on stage. I, I so say, sorry. who's been dragged here by your friend? I and I go, too. I deeply apologize. And I hope they take you somewhere good after that, you know, so I, I always think it's a good thing to do. Get out of the way. Just apologize in advance yeah. for the time I'm going to waste of yours, but thank you for listening and making this a lovely moment for me. Um, you know, and, and as time went on, you know, you start to see things in, at least in the pop culture, you start to see more evolution. You start to see more repressed energy come out to be expressed. Yeah. So we see a lot of shadow being healed and we start to see consciousness in the mainstream. And then at the same time, I think what we see is we see a lot of spiritual concepts going into a broad arena, uh, which of course, first the concept goes into the arena and it gets represented in a way where it's not very backed by the deeper authentic work. Mm. It's just something to say, something to, totally. you know what I mean? Like when you go Bump, to a- Bumper sticker culture, you know? It's bumper like sticker the, culture. I'll say the saying, but I don't really know how to embody it yet. Yeah, we got the namaste down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love and light, right? Yeah. And that that whole funny thing. Um, and yeah, and so, so for me, I look at it and I go, yeah, it's wonderful to see all of this kind of getting more in the mainstream, but I think what makes our work and anyone who's doing this work or anyone who's watching this that wants to do the work, which I'm always a fan of, you know, nurturing, you know, the, the, the next generation of light workers. I, th I, think at, I think that's something in my career I really want to focus on is I want to help the next generation of light workers really step into it. Because I think ultimately, when we start to seek spiritual concept in the, in, in the, in the mass consciousness, it's showing that people are ready and hungry for that deeper dive, but then we have to do the deeper dive work to fill in the gaps. And I think that's really what we do. And I think that's what really needs to be done as this planet goes from spiritual concept to spiritual embodiment. Hmm. Speaking of spiritual concepts to spiritual embodiment, Matt, you have three books currently. Yes. And I was struck when I looked at the titles because I don't think I was familiar. I, I was I remember when Whatever Arises came out. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing Everything is Here to Help You, but I didn't know your latest book is called The Universe Always Has a Plan. Yeah. So I just want to read <laughs> your three book titles. Whatever Arises, love that. Everything is Here to Help You. The Universe Always Has a Plan. I thought, well, that could be one time. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, I was like, wow, there's... There is a very definite energetic signature and theme here. I was curious because I know your books have, have been very celebrated and enjoyed yeah. by people. What is your process around creating and writing a book? How does it, how does it work for you? So interesting. Um, so the, the first funny behind the scenes joke about my books, I write every single word and I've been blessed with editors who respect my process as a channel and so if they want to edit something, they may make a suggestion, but I, 
every change is made in my own words. So like I, I write every single thing. And, and I love that I've had the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, it's because when I write, there's an energy. And if you mm. sometimes edit things too properly grammatically, it can change the energy. Yeah. So I've been blessed to be able to have that. But the joke is every book I've published, I've gone to the publisher, like, here's the book and here's what we're going to call it. And I've always had a tendency to come up with these like fluffy titles mm-hmm. and they go, we're going to call it this. I have never named a single book I've written. I've written every word, but the publisher always comes up with an alternate title and they want to go with it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a good title. And, and so, so I, that, that's with, these, with these three different publishers, these three different books, first one, whatever rises love that was sounds true. Sounds true. Yeah. Next two are Hay House. Ah, okay. Cause they, they, they kind of all fit with each other. So I was, I, was I know like, that's funny. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just this funny joke of like, um, and I'm, you know, currently writing my fourth book. Mm. Um, and I, it's going to be what sounds true. Um, and, um, you so know, what do you want that book to be called, Matt? And then, then tell us what it is called. Yeah. Well, so far <laughs> right now, I'm just writing it. But what I want it to be called is How to Hold Space. And the subtitle is Embracing Ourselves and Others from the Heart of Compassion. And it's a book where I teach from three different perspectives. How to hold space for your journey, how to hold space in relationship, and how to hold space for our awakening, emerging society and culture. Nice. And I think for the times we're in, I think this is just, and it's coming through so passionately. It's, uh, you know, it's my fourth book. It's the best thing I've ever written. Um, but, but as far as my process goes, when I asked about that, when I first started writing and channeling many years ago, you know, before I was published, I thought I could just sit down and channel a book. Mm. And what I realized, even though I'm a channel, is you have to learn how to write an outline. So what I developed the ability to do is I, so when it's time for me to write a book, I I start getting ideas. For me, a title drops in and and a title grabs me. I have to kind of think about it and I go, okay, does this have enough energy for a book? Is this just a very provocative blog? You know, is this something that if I'm interviewed for a year, I'm is this going to excite me to talk about, right? I have to, I have to kind of go through a process. This is a course, like, like is this a, a two-hour soul gathering I'm going to do and put on YouTube? And so if it has enough juice, I then start channeling an outline and I can sit down and literally write an outline off the top of my head. And as I'm doing it, I'm organizing. And that's the base of how I write. And I'm going to add things in there, but I'm just going to follow this outline. And it's just going to be like themes and whatever. And it's very, very general. But that, then I go for my outline and I just start going. And my, my, my actual process is when I'm writing a book, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll write for a couple hours. And then I'll stop, take a break, go to lunch, take a walk, whatever, work out. When I come back, I edit what I wrote that morning. And I go over and I edit it. And then the next morning I move on and I do that process and I actually can get a first draft out in about a month and a half. Wow. That's quick. It's quick. And I'm not trying to do it quick. It's just, it pours through me when it's time. Mm. And then I'll go back over it again, just to make sure, you know, words weren't misspelled or, you know, for me, I'm one of the hardest things as a channel is I always mix up the syntax Mm-hmm. starts as an I, ends as a we, 
and I have to kind of just pick my lane, like what, what, what am I going to go with? And so I do that and then I get it off to whatever publisher I'm working with and they look at it and, you know, the, the last book I wrote, uh, Universe Always Has a Plan, I wrote that in a month. I was, um, you know, going through a very tough time in my life. And so I just kind of buried myself in writing a book and I, I wrote it in about a month and I think there were like five to seven edits of the entire book. I mean, it was, it was I didn't know how that even happened, but for me as a writer, which when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an author. I, I, did, I thought I was going to write children's books, maybe poetry, but th th didn't realize I was going to do what I'm doing. Um, so I identify with being a writer, an author. Like for me, writing and publishing a book is like, it, it's, a, it's just, it's a, it's a thing for me. So, you know, having the outline and then just kind of just having that very interesting organization to write from um, allows what comes through me to just blossom. And there's always unexpected things that come through me that I never had planned. But the outline just helps me organize it in a way where it's coherent and cogent and, you know, trackable. And, you know, and it also helps me understand what am I really going to be teaching? Where's yeah. the beginning? Where's the middle? Where's the end? So I, I, I you know, to, to all aspiring writers who are watching this, as much as we just want to bring it through and we could sometimes feel like, oh my God, this is the best thing the world's ever heard. This is the voice of God. There has to be that part of us that has to say, and we could afford to organize our time. We can ground ourselves and it's okay to kind of learn a form that allows the true gift to really flower and blossom. Chop wood, carry water. I yes. mean, it, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because one of the things that I occasionally steer very visionary creatives away from is yeah. the kind of euphoric dream of creativity. You know, <laughs> I remember I remember years and years ago, like 20 years ago, sitting in a coffee shop dreaming about what I was going to do. And then these days, I'm just, you know, I, I, I still have the dream moments, but right. there's, there's the doing. And, and without the doing energy, we can't really ground and birth these things into form. And it's it's something that's really important to understand because it also, I think it affects you very emotionally. Mm -hmm. So people are like, well, I don't know if I'll like that. Or, and I'm like, well, then you have to try it. And they go, well, what if I don't like it? Well, let's find out, try it, run it through your body, do it for a week. And then let's make an assessment based on actual reality rather than your potential idea of what your mind thinks may or may not happen. Sure. And I noticed that can be a real block. And I think it's because of potential trauma in the body and whatever mm -hmm. it is that we're worried we're going to unearth when we go in there. But it it's a really important one for wannabe creatives or creatives who are stuck on the starting blocks and mm. not yet push themselves into the swamp of it all to kind of see what's in there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions I know when I work with people and what I hear constantly is when I figure out the thing I'm really good at, mm -hmm. it's going to be easy and not hard. And what I have found is that what your true passion is, is what you're willing to work hard at. So I, I would rewrite a book three times over and over again, if it meant getting it to the level of what I'll, I'm satisfied with. Like I'm, I, I love working hard in so many ways. Like even when I work out in the gym, like, you know, I used to be a bodybuilder when I was a kid and I'm get, getting back into it. Like just to have an area where I can work hard at is actually for me a pleasure. Mm. Um, so, so for me, I find that, you know, there's no talent we're going to have where there's not hard work. You just have to find something that you enjoy so much that you would want to work hard at it. I remember like when I first came into this industry 
and I was talking to a potential publisher about my book. And I was talking, it was so funny because this person actually helped me grow in a split second. And the first, the first moment of the question they asked me, I, 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 I took it the wrong way. I thought they were insane. I'm like, this person's ever done it. Is this person even spiritual? Because I was pitching, you know, here's the book I want to write and it's going to be about this. And they looked at me and they said, why is that important to anyone? Right? And I thought that I go, how dare you, sir? How dare you, sir? How, sir, ma'am, all of you, sir, ma'ams in the room, how dare you even, this is the word of God. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't in that moment get it until I went home and I, and I, and I started to, why is this important? Mm. What am I actually doing? What are any of us actually doing? And it actually helped me really tangibly understand the gravity of my contribution, your contribution, not in a way so I can talk about it in a very concise way, but just understanding like what, is the actual value of what I'm doing. And, and I think that before I do a project, a book, whatever, even before I speak on stage, I often ask myself the question, okay, Matt, here's what I'm gonna speak about. And oftentimes I don't even know until I get into it. Why is that important to anyone? And I answer the question and it allows me to bring through something even more compelling than if I was just in my creative laboratory coming up with ideas. Why is this important to anyone? And I'm so glad the person asked me the question because it just helps me kind of ground my energy and focus it in a way where, it, you know, because I want to be effective in people's lives. I want to actually help. So I think, you know, for all of us who are creating, whether we're creating a book or they're meant to do this, I think a lot of times people focus on, I want to be good at something and I want to be recognized for what's within me. Instead of the passion of, here's what I want to do, here's who I want to affect, and whatever needs to come through me to serve other people, so be it. And the key there is the other people. It's like, you know, if you want to share anything with the world, yeah. creativity or a project, you have to be thinking of the other people. However, you like be. you said, it's, <laughs> it's quite common that our wounds, we're often yeah. trying to serve by what we're doing in the world. It's no different to when you meet someone in conversation <laughs> and they'll spend 20 minutes talking at you yeah. without really checking whether they've got your attention or your focus and you're sitting there going, I don't know why they're monologuing this at me. They're not really like with me. They're not really checking, is this the right, you know, they're not, if they were looking at me, they might see I'm a little confused as to why this is all coming out. And, you do, you do see that kind of, um, it's like a maturity moment as a creative where yeah. you go beyond needing to be seen and heard right. and wanting to help others see and hear themselves through what you're offering them as much as your compulsion to do it. Absolutely. I, I used to be, you know, and I'm just outing myself just because it's funny about the conversation. I used to, in my personal life, when, when I really couldn't trust what came through me, like I couldn't believe that I was doing what I was doing. I was the, the king of the Shakespearean monologue, right? I might as well be holding a skull and just doing a Hamlet monologue, you know, because I'm just bringing through what I bring through and I start talking about one thing and then all of a sudden it's, an, it's a Pink Floyd concert, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's yeah. Tripping on the acid, I'm channeling. And, um, you know, I had to learn over the years, you know, I, you know, I, I had to learn to see and validate myself 
and, and learning that when I'm in the presence of other people, um, my, my true joy is, is seeing them, you know? And, and I think for me, one of the real gifts of being successful um, was being successful for me is about serving people and serving their journey. And so for me, being successful got me over, my, over myself pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, so you know, I've always talked about. And, and I was going to ask you, because, you know, you asked me the question about my process, and I know you also are writing books and doing things. Um, what do you notice about your process now different than when you started? It's a, it's a weird metaphor, maybe, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a parent in this lifetime. And I have many friends and family members who became parents in this lifetime. And there was stark contrast when they became parents as to my experience of them. You know, so Mm. it's like they're your friends, they're your brother and sister, and you're in this relationship with them. And as soon as they become parents, you and that relationship now are that much to them, Mm -hmm. understandably, because they have this world they are serving and that they are in. And uh, they don't necessarily have the luxury of time they used to have. So I think that's the biggest difference. Like I now am a parent to this work. Whereas when I started this work, I was like a teenager in an early (laughs) twenties. And I was kind of, you know, I was like, oh good. Oh, that pleased someone. Oh, I might do that again in three months time. No, there's not. I'm a parent. So there's, you know, there's eight different things that we have. And I'm lucky that the team I work with, I, you know, and that's how I like it. I like to work with empowered creatives and leaders. So, um, yeah, I, I sit at the head of the team, but everybody is doing their own department. And uh, yeah, we're busy in a, in a good way, you know. So I think that the difference is the luxury of the luxury of time, navel gazing, uh, reflection. And also, I think I got my spiritual process out the way in those early years in terms of the not dissimilar to you, the big awakenings. They really happened that kind of first four or five years yeah. of my work as a public channeler. And now I'll get doses of them yeah. and they'll come along every now and then. But I kind of got grounded in who I was over the years. So, I, all, yeah, all I would say is that doing this work has matured me in ways that I'm really grateful for. Uh, that if I look at myself 12, 14 years ago, I was not in possession of. And, you know, it's so funny you say that because I can totally relate. You know, when I first started and, you know, my metaphor would be because um, when I was a young 15 year old, you know, my, my greatest self-esteem was, oh my God, I'm, I'm dating a very attractive young, young lady. And that makes me feel like I'm a million bucks when I was a kid. So when I first started doing this work, you know, the work was like, I get to date the prettiest girl I've ever met in my life. And it was validating. It was beautiful. And, and now the work, and I love what you said, the, the metaphor of I'm, I'm now the parent, the work is my child, I'm the supervision, I'm the, you know, things come through me all the time, you know, that whether it's a teaching, a book, you know, I have my next three books already outlined, like, or a joke that maybe I'll steal on stage one day, but it's, I'm the parent, I'm the one that goes, hmm, I don't know about that, or maybe, or, hmm, you know, and it's, it's, it's instead of being validated by the popularity, or even validated by the work I do to help other people, which is, which is, very pleasing to me. I'm validated by my relationship with my work. You know, I'm, I'm validated by the maturity I hold in the work that I do. Um, I'm, I'm validated by uh, being fulfilled to be of service without being inflated by the identity of how people perceive me. Mm. You know? And something I do that's very funny. 
um, is, you know, I spend a lot of time alone. I have, I have a great intimate circle of friends. Um, but what I do regularly, and I like to cook. So like one night I'll cook myself, like whatever, you know, whatever favorite meal I'm craving and, you know, I'll kind of make it a healthier version and I'll cook myself a magnificent meal. I'll watch one of my favorite, you know, movies or, and I call it MacCon Appreciation Night. <laughs> and, I, and I have MacCon Appreciation Night where it's a okay. night for MacCon to honor MacCon. That's great. And it just, great. it just, it just, and it's such, you said earlier, the little things in life, right? Those yeah. are the little things that really matter most. Like for me, I go to the store and I'll buy a random ingredient and it's like I'm on a Food Network show. Okay, uh -huh. make a dish, feature that. You know, like I bought trail mix and I, you know, took it home and I thought, oh, what if I turned that into a pesto? Right. So I did, you know what I mean? Like, so for me, it's like, I don't know, just doing the work, but still having creative joy and play and still having this mature relationship like you spoke about so eloquently with your work, you know, to not be like a kid. Yeah, I finally am seen and heard, but I'm the parent to my work and, and the relationship, the mature relationship is what fulfills me. I think that's something that doesn't always get talked about. And I think it's, it's a really beautiful thing that you reflected. Yeah. Well, I love hearing about Matt Khan appreciation, Night. although I was just thinking that for me, it would have to be, it wouldn't be a Lee Harris appreciation night. Yeah. In my case, it would be a restaurant appreciation night because the one thing I can't quite bring myself to do, which I often wish I did, was yeah. uh, cook. I know if I did, I could and, you know, yeah. uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm full of admiration for all the people in my life who cook well. Mm -hmm. I always tell myself one day when I'm not so busy doing all these things and I've got too much time on my hands, I will get these recipe books out and figure that out. So it might be restaurant appreciation night for me, but I love it. Look, I love restaurants, um, you know, and I do cook a lot and um, I, I, I study recipes and different cuisines from different cultures. And then I kind of just learn combinations and do my own thing. I have spiritual books I'm writing, but I'm probably going to come out with a cookbook in the next couple of years. And I want to- I was just going to say the Matt yeah. Khan restaurant, the Matt Khan restaurant, I've already decided that <laughs> When I get to meet you in person, yeah. I'm coming to your house or I'm going to show you where the kitchen is in my house. One of the two, because this is too exciting. I love being cooked for. So Honestly, it would be my greatest pleasure. It's one of the greatest thrills to cook for people. My friends come over. I do three and five uh, course tasting menus. Um, wow. And, you know, if anyone has an allergy, I just need to, you know, just it's no big deal. Like, oh, good. you want to do vegan, you want to do whatever. Like, it's just for me, it's the greatest joy to cook for people. Um I've thought about doing cooking videos. Um, you should, you and, and should. I, and I really want to do that. I really do. Yeah. So it's it's all timing and, uh, you know, but but uh, I want to do cookbooks and because I'm really passionate about food and ingredients and I'm, and I'm passionate about it as a mindful expression of consciousness and feeding ourselves and loving ourselves. And, you know, for me, I don't know, like when I, when, when I cook myself a meal and I, and I live by myself, I'm single. Yeah how I played it. And I, and by the way, I don't know how I do what I do when I cook. Cause I'm not trying to be like, I'm going to do a chefy swirl yeah. and swoosh thing. But for some reason, that's what comes through me. And it's, um, and then when I do it, I sit back with my meal, like I do with my teachings and I go, okay, what could I have done differently there? Oh, I know why that turned out like that. Mm, it was that little thing. And so I, I'm, I'm always studying what I do because for me, it's not about trying to be great at something the process of getting better at anything is the thrill ride. 
oh Matt, you've just reminded me that all I need to do is go into the kitchen and put <laughs> some food down. I know, I know, I know. It's just, you've just given me even more fuel for the, the the little voice in my head that goes, Lee, why don't you just make the time for cooking? So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. But you know, honestly, it really is. We we have a good friend Barbie, and she just came to visit us a few weeks ago, and. My God, I mean, just watching her in the kitchen, yeah. it's one of my great joy, like watching someone who yeah. knows how to pull a meal together. I, I'm so full of admiration for it. So yes, do the cooking videos. <laughs> Please do some for beginners like me. I will. Even I will. though, I mean, I know how to cook some things, but I think when this work came into my life, yeah. I, so much of my creative energy went into the work. So I will, I will watch your videos and wrestle some cooking energy back for myself. I love it. Well, and, and for me, cooking is like how I can take a... I'm, I'm never taking a break from spirit, but just I take a break from the identity of, you know, the work I do. And so sure. it's very, it's very beautiful. I will say this as far as cooking. I'll say the two biggest things that I've learned as a self-taught cook that I think is the most key thing. So if you're following a recipe and you look at a recipe, it has all the ingredients measured out. It has everything measured out. So before you start cooking, all of that should be measured out first. Because if not, you're going to hurry and try to measure things. Your pan's hot. It's going to be too hot. You're going to burn something. So first thing is everything has to be laid out. It's just kind of, even if you're just improving. Book writing. You're, you're doing a full circle back to your book writing. <laughs> exactly. Please continue. Please continue. And the other thing is you don't need to move quickly in the kitchen. I mean, usually if, if you're on a cooking competition on TV, you're, you have 30 minutes. But if you're at home, it's not about moving fast but you're always in motion. So if I put something in the oven and that has 20 minutes to cook, and if there's anything else I don't need to prep, I mean, I turn and I start washing dishes. So I'm always in motion. It's a very mm -hmm. Zen thing. So everything measured out first, always in motion, checking things, tasting things, just kind of, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really a, a, a practice of mindfulness and just being connected and, um, you know, when I started cooking, I was very afraid of knives and cutting myself. And so I trained myself on ceramic dull knives. And I did these weird practices where I would fold paper towels and cut things. And I would see if I could cut without cutting the paper so I could feel where the, and I learned to trust knives because I was so afraid of fire. I was so afraid of knives. And, you know, I grew up as a sensitive kid, afraid of everything, including myself, you know, and, uh, you know, convinced definitely on the antichrist for sure, you know? And so I just kind of overcame these fears. And when I learned how to cook to the point where I can go into the grocery store and if I'm craving something, I could literally go buy things, go home and do it. Mm. Maybe look up a little recipe for a little reference, mm -hmm. what temperature, how long, but you just start to get it. And when it gets inside of you, the feeling of accomplishment of, I feel like eating this right now. And you do it. So a week ago, I bought a cookbook <laughs> because my friend Barbie said, oh, get the Barefoot Contessa. She's a great one to She's start great. with. Yeah. And now, Matt, we have somehow <laughs> gone from talking about our work to a 10-minute <laughs> morale booster for me about cooking. So I, I, I love thank it. you to everyone who tuned in and was willing to watch me get <laughs> mentored by Matt about cooking. <laughs> I, I, I feel very thoroughly like I now have to go home and do something. So that's good, Matt. Thank this you. This is I so great. And, and, and I think, you know, you're, you're, uh, and does your, does your partner, your husband, does so Stephen, Stephen does more cooking than I do for sure. Yeah. Neither of us are like dying to run to the kitchen. And it's right. funny when you described your process around 
cooking. Yeah. Um, that's how I experience my work. So yeah. it's like there are multiple projects. Now it's music. Now it's this. Now it's admin. Now, you know, so I, I totally get that piece. And when you said earlier a CD, a music CD, you know, as part of what's coming through. Are you yeah. a singer or do you, do you do musical yes. instruments? Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so myself, um, so I'm a singer songwriter and I work with Davor Bozik, who we've been working together for eight years. Yeah. So he um, scores all of the music that comes through Lee Harris Energy. Um, oh. I have collaborated with a few other people like Barry Goldstein, who I know oh, yeah. is a friend of yours too. Yeah. So um, who's wonderful. So yeah, so music creation is is one of my things. So here's another funny little joke. Uh-huh. I like to write songs. I don't like to sing. That's not my thing. Uh-huh. But I, I, my one of my secret passions is I like to write songs. I haven't written a song in a long time. But my thing would be like I would love to write for other people because like for me on stage, I do what I do. That's my performance. Yeah, I'm. I don't want to be a singer. That's just not my thing. Yeah. Uh, like like if you have a concert, let me let me cater it. I'd be happy to, to cook the, you for people, but I like writing songs and telling stories. Mm. And then the idea of like, Oh, who would this be good for? Ooh, this, mm. and I just love, I just love that. I love, so I, I love that. And I can't wait to hear your CD and I can't wait to hear. Um, so what, what kind of genre would you say of, of, of if there was one? Yeah. So we categorize this as new age because it's the yeah. right genre, but it's, it's really a fusion. So it's kind of like, imagine singer songwriter music combined with world instruments and performers. Um, and we tune it, we've tuned this album to 528 Hertz. I love that. So yeah. So the, so yeah, it's, it's a real blend. There's a couple of the songs are already out, but I will definitely send you the link to the album. Please do. I love that. I'm, I'm a huge music fan. I, you know, I have a Shazam app on my phone and I... Oh, Shazam is great. So I Shazam everything at restaurants. Oh yeah, me too. And then instantly <laughs> like, what is that? add it to the mix. Boom. Yeah. And oh, I have I have found like such great uh, singers. Like uh, there's, there's a singer named Jetta, J-E-T-T-A. Mm. Or, or Rain, R-A-I-G-N. Okay. These two singers, like I'm listening to this going, why did Shazam introduce me to them? Like how have I yeah. never known about this? And so... I am constantly searching for music and then I listen to music while I'm, or I, or I listen to vinyl while I'm cooking and just, mm-hmm. you know, just, so if, again, for me, like, like this weekend in, in Bend, like it's, it's supposed to like snow. And so I'm like, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to listen to music. I'm going to cook. Like I will literally cook small plates for myself all day. And Thank God we don't know where you live. Yes, <laughs> I'm telling you, there's, there's, your your house just seems like a veritable restaurant to walk into. It so honestly thank is. God we don't <laughs> all know where your address is right now. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of us at your front door this weekend. And by the way, so I had heard, and you live in the Malibu area, right? We live in Malibu, yeah. Okay, so there, and I and I, I used to spend time in Malibu. Oh. I forgot this place. It's I used to always go there and get a breakfast burrito. Do you know what I'm oh, talking about? Yes, it's by um, Cafe de la Plage. Uh, That's right, which I used to get a latte there too. Yeah, 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 great. I had one of those today. Um, I forget the name. I've, You know, I've never had one, but everybody talks about these breakfast burritos. Honest to God. Okay. Get a breakfast burrito and then get a latte. I, when I got my latte there, I was standing behind Rick Rubin, who was the producer of the Yeah, no, he's often in Cafe de la Plaza. And I became a little boy, didn't say anything (laughs) to him, was just, you know, like, you know, oh my God. Yeah. This is Rick Rubin. Oh my God. So anyway, yeah, get a breakfast burrito. 
Okay, I will do it. I will do it. <laughs> yeah, I love Matt, it. This has been lovely. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna draw our conversation to a close, even though we could keep speaking for a long I time. I feel, but it's been really lovely to meet you, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. And I am looking forward to your cooking at some yes. point in the near future. I'd, I would love to. It's an honor. Thanks so much for being here, Matt. <laughs> so thank you everyone for tuning in. And if you would like to connect more with Matt's work, you can visit him at mattkhan.org. And as ever, we will put all links in the show notes underneath this episode. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time on Impact the World. Rebirth has been an annual transformation program that I and my team offer every January for the last four years. This year, Rebirth 2021 will be quite different to prior years because 2020 was very different to prior years in general as a whole for all of us. So a couple of things came to me for Rebirth 2021. I wanted to deliver all of the modules live prior years we have done a lot of pre-recorded material but this year everything will be delivered live and then there will be full replays available within 24 hours of the live broadcast. My guides the Z's are going to be a huge part of this year's rebirth. We held transmissions in August and it was an incredible experience and it was allowing my guides to bring through the next level of information and one of the themes that they have talked about for 2021 and beyond is us becoming more creators of our lives. They're talking about how we create our lives every day through our energy and also how we can take different actions to animate our sense of purpose, our sense of connection to life, but also the life and the world that we're creating right now and how important that is in the years to come. So Rebirth 2021 will have that focus as its main theme, next level creation. And then across each broadcast, we're going to look at creating from a metaphysical and a grounded standpoint. Stephen Washington will again be bringing his work to Rebirth. So there will be a module called Activating Your Creative Body. And as soon as you sign up, you will receive the channeled audio MP3 and sound healing, which is called Creating Through Chaos and being here for love. We can't wait to get started with you. The program begins on January 19th and you will have lifetime access to the material once we have finished on January 29th. So if you're looking for a rebirth or to up-level your way of creating in your life, we would love to have you join us for Rebirth 2021. You can visit rebirth2021.com or my website leeharrisenergy.com for all the details.